1: From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey. It's the show about the most interesting people and stories in Mississippi. Our guest today is Woodrow Hartzog. He's professor of law and computer science at Northeastern University School of Law and College of Computer and Information Science. He's here to discuss his new book, Privacy's Blueprint, The Battle to Control the Design of New Technologies. Plus, we'll talk about the latest headlines in the weekly roundup. Hey, to be part of the show, give us a call. 877-MPB-RING. That's eight. 8- Seven seven six seven two seven four six four, Or you can email me. You can email the show as well at marshall at mpbonline.org. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio, and we'll be right back after the news.
0: You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio.
1: Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Well, hot off the press is Professor. I like that. Professor Woodrow Hartsock's new book, Privacy Blueprint, The Battle to Control the Design of New Technology. Look, I don't know about you, but if you have turned on the news lately... You realize that this is a big part of our life and coming 15 different directions. And this is going to be a great show today. Look, the book is fascinating. It's engaging. But like I said, it's a topic that we really honestly all need to be thinking about. And, of course, the bottom line is should privacy law regulate technological design? I mean, come on, think about it. And that's what's kind of amazing to me. And we'll, we'll get into this in just a second. But, you know, it's so funny watching people up in Washington, D.C. try to figure, you know, you got senators that still have AOL accounts that are sitting there trying to, to discuss net t- neutrality. And you're just like going, wait a minute. OK, so you got to understand that maybe government is good at some things, but, you know, probably can't keep up with it. So anyway, this is going to be a very good conversation. And thank you for joining it as well. And, of course, Michelle. Is sitting on the other side of the glass. Yes, I am. How Man, you doing? Happy Monday,
2: my friend. Happy Monday. Hi, Woody. Hi, Woody's mom.
1: I know it. And, and yeah, Woody's mom's in the yeah. Is, she's like one of my favorite people too. So she's sitting back here away from the microphone. But I
2: said, hey, you, you can hang out in the studio as well. Well, you know we have a great guest today. I'm excited to hear I about the too. book. I'm excited to hear about why he wrote it and the whole night. And he comes
1: from he comes from Mississippi royalty too. You do know yes.
2: that, yes? Woody Asaph is your grandfather. Oh, right. believe. Yeah. So I can't wait to talk about that. I know
1: that's kind of cool too. It is. I love me some Woody back in the day. I, I have to say he was. One of the coolest guys in the world. Um, I was really glad I got to know him a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, toward, toward the end of his career. But uh, here was a guy that talk about making a just a huge, huge, huge impact on mm-hmm. the state of Mississippi because it wasn't because I mean, just think about after Hurricane Camille. Because right. you know the whole Gulf Coast is completely ruined, and who steps in to raise money? You of know, course, Woody, because yes. he had that kind of power and he had that kind of heart, and so that's
2: kind of cool. That is well. Let's talk about back to school. Yeah, dun dun dun. You know, are, the you, kids, re- are you ready? I, I I will be. I guess I'm more nervous than my daughter. She's going to ninth grade, so she's um, going to high school. That's a big shift, right? Embarking on a new adventure and. We're gonna hold hands and go to, to go through this together. So you know I'm what that excited. Means, don't you? What does it mean? It you're a year older. Just <laughs> of to course. Let you know that.
1: I know. I've got one. Well, he goes to college in oh, less than
2: two weeks. Oh wow! Yeah. And how does that make you feel, Marshall? College.
1: Um, I tell you, what's gonna be weird? I'm gonna miss him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm up to where he's going to school. I go up there and teach enough that mm-hmm. I, you know, I'll see him occasionally. Mm-hmm. But it just totally is going to change the dynamic of my family because right. I've got three boys and we're used to that, you know, the fighting, the, the energy, the everything that's going on. Boom, we're down to two. Right. And yeah. And so it's going to be really weird. And I think, honestly, um, tomorrow is my wedding anniversary. So oh, yeah, congratulations. Yeah, 20, How many years? Twenty-five. Wow! Twenty-five with a lot of women. Miss Amy, 25 is the silver. Okay. Yeah, I told Amy it was plastic straws because <laughs> obviously, since they're banning those, obviously it's more valuable than silver at this point. Uh... So, uh, no, I. But I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to medicate Amy. <sighs> I mean, you think about it. I mean, that's her firstborn. How is she college. dealing with this? Uh, I think she is really going to have a hard time. Yeah. And, and yeah, and I mean, I am too. I, but I mean, she has been his champion from the get-go, just like you are, you know, as well. She's just a super mom, and it's going to be tough. And But he is so excited. He cannot wait. And of course, I can't wait to have to move his stuff into the dorm.
2: hmm yeah. That's exciting. You know, I no, remember... It's not. That's a pain. <laughs> no, That's no. Pain. I mean, I, I think of it as a new adventure, like going to ninth grade with my daughter, and she's already on the basketball team and things like that. She's been um, practicing. They had summer league. So, I like new adventures, so it feels like a new adventure with yeah. college. It's it is a new adventure. You're gonna miss him, I know, but um, I want Jordan to go locally to college. I want yeah. her to stay in Jackson. Oh, yeah.
1: We haven't <laughs> see. We have a separate we have a separate ninth grade school. So my son last year, mm. my middle son was in that school. Now he's going to the big high school this mm. year. And he, you know, he runs cross country and track and everything. This morning, you know, I feel good. I ran eight miles and I ran like a, a ten-minute mile, and I was really proud of myself. He ran seven this morning at seven-minute mile. i wow! Oh, just like, wow. Going, okay, it must be nice to be fifteen, you know, to be able to run like that. Right. But yeah, I, I ran like a. Okay, this. I, I'm old. Okay, mm-hmm. I ran a 730 mile. I was so proud of that because I have not run a mile that fast in about 10 years. Wow. So I get home and my son's like, yeah, I was uh, training and I, I ran a mile in 520. And I'm just like, hush. It's like, so, oh, so yes, you probably have the same thing. It's like kids know how to make you feel ancient.
2: They do. But I, you know what? I still enjoy every moment Oh, you do. It. You do. do. You're <laughs> living it. Oh, I do too.
1: <laughs> I do too. Well, that's I the do. thing. I think I like my kids now at this age as much or if not better than when they were little because I, there's you know, so much they're so smart and they're exactly. so fun to talk to and I,
2: I feel guilty sometimes but when i see a, a parent with a small child i don't envy them i know i look at
1: amy it's like you want to go back to that and she's <laughs> like you aren't even funny
2: i love the dialogue that uh jordan and i have i like the conversations i like to watch her grow and interact with her friends i kind of like it now we're kind of like friends you know yeah
1: Oh, oh like yeah, you're, you're like the Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Kind of.
2: Basically, 14 hmm. and 45, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Y'all are just
1: right there together. But, I mean, the thing about it, teenagers sleep. They do. That's great. Babies don't sleep. No,
2: and then they, they can't really do anything for themselves. You, no, you're I mean, poop their pants. George I mean, told me last terrible. night, I want to fix my own dinner. You don't have to come in the kitchen. You don't have to help me. Let me do it.
1: I was like, what? Okay. My, my friend Scott just um, got remarried, and he just had a new baby girl over the weekend. And oh. uh, yeah, Scott Steele, a lot of folks know him locally. He's a, a DJ as well. And um, I just look at him, and I go, and she's adorable little kid. I mean, gorgeous, and I'm so happy for him. And I would, like, I'd be hyperventilating. I wouldn't know what to do with a baby at this point. I didn't know what to do mm-hmm. with the baby when I had a baby. Mm-hmm. So it was it was terrible. My kids, though, they did grow up normal. I was surprised having me as a father.
2: <laughs>
1: so, but it was good stuff. But yeah, no. I'm, I when does school start for y'all? In a couple of weeks. Uh,
2: it starts on the eighth. Yeah, we start mm-hmm. on the eighth too.
1: So and, and uh, uh, orientation
2: and Jack- is um, Monday and on Sunday. I mean, on is Sunday. Going to excuse me.
1: Not have what happened last year and be closed for nine months. Oh my!
2: I pray that we don't have a you know repeat of last year. Last I mean, year was a lot of hiccups, ups and downs with the um,
1: the water breakage and all the, pro- right. the problems that caused. And, oh, well, that was horrible.
2: I, I, for the most part, I think we're going to have a smooth year. We're just going to pray for that, and hopefully uh, JPS can get it together, you know, yeah, with the Kellogg Company and everything like that. Hey, I'm pulling for him. I me think too. everybody is. too. It
1: hey, went on a little quick vacation. I had a speaking gig down on the coast, and I do appreciate getting to do that. So we went over to Orange Beach and spent a couple of days. It was great. My son looked at me, and he said, Dad. I said, what? He said, I want to go parasailing. Okay, I don't like heights, right? So I'm thinking about that, that. But my dad, before he passed away, we were last time we were at the beach. He said, yeah, "You know, I'd like to go parasailing," and we never did it. And I was just thinking, when my son said that, I said, "Well, let's go." So we went to the boat, and we were out there, and they hook us up. And there's three of us together. So it was his friend, it was my son, and me. And I'm thinking, great, I'm about to kill all three of us. <laughs> and they were saying, "Well, don't worry if the line snaps; you're in a, you're hooked to a parachute." So I was like, "Oh, I feel so much better." <laughs> We're on the back of the boat. It takes off. We shoot up 50 stories up into the air. I mean, that's like 500 feet up. And I'm looking down. And really, honestly, it didn't scare me, the water being down there, looking down. What scared me was looking over, realizing I was taller than the condos on the beach. I was going there. But it was the most fun I've had in a long time. It was great. All the pictures. I got this big, goofy smile on my face. And they, they took pictures. We got the photo package. And there's one where they're acting like they're cutting the line. And there's one with a shark that's actually trying to eat us. And it was so there were some pretty funny pictures. Oh, but we got down to the bottom, and, and, and we landed. And my son just had a big smile. And it's just one of those reminders. that A lot of times in life, we sit there and think, I don't want to do that or mm-hmm. I, I'm too afraid to do that mm-hmm. or anything else. And if we sit there and look at our fe- fears right in their eyes and huh. say, no, I'm going to go do it. And I'm going to go have fun. It'll change us. All and right. it was just like I just realized, you know what? If I can go up on a parachute 50 stories in the air, you can do anything. I can do mm-hmm. about anything. Mm-hmm. We're just kind of like our guest. Yes. He's done about everything, too. And I tell you what, his personal story is about as good as his book. So I look forward to the interview. and I, I can't wait. I think we're going to have a good show mm-hmm. today. We, are. Yeah, we appreciate mm-hmm. you listening as well. <laughs> All right, coming back with us today is is Woodrow, Woodrow, Woody Woodrow, we'll do Woodrow, Harzog, professor of law and computer science at Northeastern University. Anyway, we're going to talk about his new book, It's Privacy's Blueprint, The Battle to Control the Designs of New Technologies. Folks, um, this is news you can use because you know what? We're in the middle of this right now if you haven't paid attention to the news. Anyway, this is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio.
2: Always stay up to date by logging onto our website at mpbonline.org or use your mobile device and download our MPB public media app. This is MPB Think Radio, where Mississippi
0: is our mission. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. The information presented on this program is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult an appropriate professional for guidance about your concerns. Welcome back. This is Now You're
1: Talking on MPB Think Radio. If you want to be part of the show, give us a call at 877 MPB Ring. That's 877 672 6474. our guest today, um, wow, I love that really official. You know, bumper there that was saying basically that what we're about to talk about is really important and you need to listen because that's exactly what that meant. We got Woody Hartsocks here. Is a privacy blueprint, the battle to control the design of new technologies. Woody, number one, man, I tell you what, I really enjoyed getting a visit with you even before we've gotten on the air. So oh,
3: thanks for having me. I really enjoyed
1: it. Yeah, welcome. Uh, I tell you what, of course, the name probably sounds a little bit familiar, like folks just tuning in. You have a very famous grandfather.
3: That's right. Yeah, you. my grandfather is Woody Asaph.
1: Yes, longtime weather weather guy at WLBT. That's and- right. And literally a legend in the state of Mississippi.
3: Absolutely. It was such a joy growing up, having him, being able to see everything that he was able to do and how much he loved his job and how much he loved the people of Mississippi.
1: Well, you know, and that got you into journalism. I mean, you did you say, I want to grow up and be like him? Of course, you obviously didn't go become a meteorologist, but...
3: That's right. That's right. But it did affect it. So I uh, worked at WLBT uh, as a runner my yeah. senior year, and I loved it. I grew up around television and technology and and wanted to... Uh, be some part of the mass media, and so I went to college as a journalism and a mass com major. And where'd
1: you go to college?
3: Uh, Stanford University. At okay, right so now.
1: you you decided to move someplace where you didn't know anybody. That's we were, right. Yeah, we were just talking about that with your mom. It's like, like we're dropping the kids off for the college for the first time, and, and you realize you're leaving your kid at a place where they don't know anybody.
3: That's right. Show up, look around, and say, "All right, what do we do next?" And that was sort of the beginning of this long journey.
1: You know, one of the things I really like about you and your your story is that you are so. Your story fits in so well with what's going on in the world today because there has been so much change and so much. I mean, you, I mean, you've, you've been a lawyer. You've you've written books. You're now you're now teaching. You're now in technology, but you thought you were going to go in journalism. Uh, you have you set your mind on something, but you realize, oh, you know what. I need to go another direction. That's that, right. That's hard to do.
3: It's not easy. So it was one of the things that I arrived at college thinking that I would uh, go into journalism, yeah. perhaps advertising, or maybe some sort of marketing or, or something along those lines. And I took a course, actually, in mass media law. And I we went through all the laws of television, newspaper, radio. Right. That was the way in which the course was divided up. And we got to the end of the course, and I raised my hand, and I said, what about the law of the internet, which was new at the time, and we still had dial-up AOL, and my professor sort of stopped for a second, he thought about it, he said, well, there are no rules for the internet, and it, right then and there, it blew my mind, I, I, it it occurred to me how exciting it was that there was this area where nobody knew what the rules were. It
1: was like the Wild West.
3: It was, it was, it really was, sort of, they called it the electronic frontier, right, and, and. Uh, I knew right then and there uh, that I, that's what I wanted to do, that I wanted to study uh, the, the rules that we have for technology because it was so fascinating because none of them had existed yet.
1: You know, you and I were talking a little bit before, even before we came into the studio that, and, and I mentioned to you, I said, I think that sociologists are going to look back at this time of, with the Internet and realize that this has been as big a change in society as what the Industrial Revolution did.
3: Oh, absolutely. I think that we'll look back years from now and say this was a major turning point. And I think what we're seeing is actually two different movements. So there was the first wave that we saw back in when I was 1996, when I first started college, and uh, dial-up internet first became available to everyone, and everyone sort of learns. And that was sort of the utopian era, right? We thought that the internet could do anything, it could change everything, that it was going to be used as this force for good, and that's, you know, what could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Sort of the, the mantra. And now I think that what we 're seeing is a, a second turn, yeah where we 're starting to understand the seriousness of what comes with with a lot of this rapid change in such a quick way, right um, and I think that that 's what a lot of this stuff happening with Facebook is about, and that 's what a, a lot of what we 're learning with the net neutrality debate. I think that a lot of the conversations we 're having now is the beginning of a second evolution of how we're dealing with these digital technologies.
1: Well, I mean, social cuz like I said when you start out you didn't have you had dial up so that was naturally slow. You really couldn't do video, you couldn't do a lot of things because number one, your mom probably needed to use the phone right. at some point, <laughs> you know, so you had to hang up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember seriously when it first started out it would take me 30 minutes to send a cartoon. Yeah. And over AOL. Yeah. You know, so I mean it was like okay, and that was I guess 99 I'm 98 yeah. something like that. So that's not that's 20 years. So that's not that long ago. Now, um with social media, that everybody now has a platform. That's right. And a lot of people aren't even real that have platforms. Right. As we've discovered
3: too. Right. Yeah, exactly, right. It's just, you've got uh, yeah, the, and this is part of the problem. Yeah. So we've seen the shift. Do you remember when the internet first got started, the only way that that people were were really sort of empowered to get out there was if you knew how to create your own homepage. Right. You remember when everybody yeah. had their own sort of homepage, but you had to have some sort of technological sophistication and social media comes along and now everybody's got a homepage, right? And, and then I think when you combine that with the advent of mobile technologies, the fact yeah. that most people now access social media on their phone right. is another sort of jump, right? Because it's always available. So we're checking more more frequently. And, and, uh, and it, 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 comes with it as things become easier, new problems emerge, I think. Is what
1: I remember, saying. you know, being in the newspaper business, obviously I have seen my industry affected by all the change, uh, Decimated, I don't know, but changed. I mean, right. it's all obviously changed. And I've always, I always joked. I said, you know, it'll never be affected because people can't bring a computer into the bathroom with them. Right. But then when the phones came out, you know, that's <laughs> seriously, I was like, okay, now we're, now it's on. We got to get busy. But yeah, you're right. Mobile phones totally changed the game.
3: Right. Right. And and I think we're seeing now a lot of, uh, we're just now catching up to that. So yeah. we're coming around upon what, almost 10 years since the advent right. of the and We're iPhone. just now
1: figuring out, oh, there's actually psychological effects of looking at your phone all the time. That's so, right. Oh yeah, I'm addicted to dopamine. There you go. So, exactly.
3: Right. So. Yeah. And, and, and that's a lot of what has created, uh, I think a lot of the problems that we're dealing with is that uh, these companies, Facebook, for example, it, it's, in order to exist, it has to get you to keep clicking right? more and more and more often. And so they're going to design a system any way they can to make sure that you always keep clicking, right? That you never right. put down that phone. But well, like
1: in, with any other addiction, don't you have to, it has to to ratchet up for you to continue to get the same high.
3: Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so it, it, it's only going to sort of get worse until we start to think about this in a different way.
1: Oh, well, I'm feeling right. much better about right. things now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this is a positive. I know start, this 100.
3: is real positive. Yeah, well, yeah. Let's
1: go back to you real quick. Um, um... So you, you're, you go, you get your undergrad in journalism. You got a master's in journalism, too, didn't you?
3: Uh, a PhD. PhD. In, in okay,
1: well, okay. Didn't mean to give you the demotion there. That's okay. So PhD in journalism. What what did you focus on at that point?
3: So actually, I came back around to it. So after uh, graduating, uh, uh, my undergraduate degree in journalism, I went to law school because okay. I knew that I wanted to do some sort of technology law. And I was really actually trying to become a technology privacy attorney. Yeah. But at the time, that actually it didn't exist as a oh, thing. right? about so I'm, to say because how do you study something that doesn't exist? Right. Right. I went to my mentor and I said I'd like to be a, 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 an attorney who handles privacy matters and, my, my, <laughs> and you know, this was the early 2000s like that's not a thing that exists yet. And I, so, I'm not sure it exists in,
1: now, right? Either.
3: Believe it or not, it's starting to. So this is a growing okay. field. Oh, right. But with even within the past couple of years. No, I just
1: didn't know there was any privacy on the internet. Oh, something.
3: right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could see how you might think that. Yeah. I um, mean, this is maybe a conversation that we can have. Um, but I. I I personally think that there's a lot more privacy to be lost, which we could talk about. Yeah. Um, but but after uh, practicing as an attorney for a little while, I practiced intellectual property law, mm-hmm. which is closed. I was an attorney for the Patent and Trademark Office for a little oh, while. Wow. Uh, I, I uh, now I live in Boston, and I and I always tell my kids that one of the one of my favorite trademarks that I ever approved was Dunkin' Donuts' new trademarks, which is Dunkin'. Yeah, good old Dunkin'. <laughs> And, uh, and Hey, then but up in Boston, that makes you a hero. Oh, absolutely. Because that's oh. like a big thing up there. Listen, you can't walk a block without hitting a Dunkin' Donuts I know it. in Boston. And so, um, although we walked into one and my, <laughs> we bought a coffee and my son was so cute. He said, Dad, I don't think they knew you in there. I don't think they knew what you did for Dunkin'. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> and so, but after I served as an intellectual property attorney for the Patent and Trademark Office, I decided that I wanted to research privacy and security more seriously right and that's when i enrolled in the phd program okay uh, at university of north carolina at chapel hill and s- focused so while i was there i focused on media policy platforms social media and privacy
1: wow so i mean talk, talk about what you wrote about on your on, on your dissertation and talk about i mean
3: so the thing that i was interested in were the the little promises. That we make to each other offline. So like if you and I were going to have a private conversation, we would walk into a back room, we might shut a door, I might close some blinds, or in the very (sighs) least, I'd speak in a hushed tone, Right. right? I'd like lean in a little close. And I'd be like, you know, so and so is about to get that big promotion or whatever. And you would know by the way that I spoke with you and our sort of normative social conventions yeah. that that you weren't supposed to tell someone that, right? That that was between you and I. And the thing that always interested me is that online we don't have those sort of cues, right? Right. So like we can I can text you something and. If I, if we were in person, the way I said it, you would know you were not supposed to tell anyone. But via text message, you might not know that.
1: Yeah, you can't even tell any kind of emotion. No, there's no nonverbal cues. Exactly right. Yeah. I
3: mean, yeah, have you ever tried to make a joke and then someone oh, takes yeah. it seriously? Oh, yeah, sarcasm. Always, I
1: have to use my sarcasm font. You <laughs>
3: Right, know. right. Yeah, there's no sarcasm font. So we And so my dissertation was on ways in which the design of our screens and our software might actually give out some sorts of cues of privacy and and ways in which the law might recognize that a little more.
1: Oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. You, you've got the book out, Privacy's Blueprint. And you, when it launched, it was like the news events were almost kind of like, okay, here's the textbook for you to understand what's going on in the world. It's like your timing couldn't have been any better.
3: Oh my gosh. It, so my book was released about two days before The Guardian published a report about Cambridge Analytica getting information on over 200 million Facebook users. And while I think that that was bad for the world at large, I have to say it was really (laughs) great. You're doing the happy dance. It was really great timing for the book to come out. And I did probably more interviews during that short span that I had the entire time before um, and was able to say, listen, if you're interested in what's going on here, I actually just wrote a book about it.
1: Well, explain to people, because, I mean, everybody, like most people I know, I know very few people that don't have a Facebook page. Right. Explain to them why that was so serious. Because I think sometimes, you know, we have the outrage of the days on the news. People don't, don't pay attention. They don't know what's going on. Why was that such an just a bad
3: situation for people? Sure. So I think it's really interesting that – that one particular thing created such an outrage. And I think it probably was a combination of several different things that Mm -hmm. had been brewing for a long time. Because what actually happened, which is the fact that there was a, a large amount of information on Facebook users that was shared in violation of a certain data sharing agreement, believe it or not, wasn't that abnormal. Right. So the fact that this information was spilled It had happened before, and it's going to happen again. So why was everyone so upset about it? I think it was a combination of things. One, I think it involved politics, which is, of course, was already being charged. Um, But two, it made me think that people can only hear Mark Zuckerberg apologize for a privacy uh, snafu so many times before people get fed up with
1: it. That That was really painful watching him in front of Congress. Oh,
3: it was tough. Yeah. It was tough. I mean, because there were certain things that uh, watching that as someone who'd been setting this area for 10 years or more, there were certain things that I heard Mark Zuckerberg say that I really disagreed with and was like, oh, if only, you know, we could sort of catch him in this. But then there were other things where I think he was being truthful and the fact that it's so hard to keep up with what's happening now with technology right. made it come off wrong, right? And so it was it was almost like a, a, a series of miscommunications that resulted in, you know, not much. I, I think just a, a lot of frustration.
1: I think that was a good um, – just watching that was a really good – example of the difficulties government has keeping up with technological changes. Because, I mean, we were listening to some of the questions from some of the some of the, our legislators, and they were kind of like, okay, can you help me reset my AOL account? <laughs> right. You know, so I mean, obviously, it's like a battleship trying to keep up with a speedboat going around at fast. That's over-
3: exactly right. I think that this has sort of always been true with respect to the law, yeah. and that the technology typically moves faster than regulators can keep up. But it was painfully obvious as we had a lot of uh, legislators that were trying to ask questions and many of them were actually were relatively sophisticated and other ones weren't. And a lot of people said, oh, well, how could we expect any rules to be passed if legislatures have no idea what the internet even is? But there were several questions that I don't even think Mark Zuckerberg knew the answer to. Really? Um, So one of the things that I've learned in a lot of my research is that, the data ecosystem, in other words, all the different parties that are buying and sharing and trading our personal information, is so complex, and the way in which information moves is so maze-like and and massive that I'm not even sure anyone can f- see the full extent of it. Um, and so it's it, not, it on one hand we say things like oh. The, it, you know, look at those legislatures. They don't know what they're talking about. They're talking about AOL, which I think there was an actual question about There was about one. Was like, that,
1: that really jumped out right
3: at me. but But on the other hand, um, that's – it shows that if legislatures can't keep up, then what chance do we have? Right. Right? And the rules are built to try to put the responsibility on us as though it's our responsibility to make sure – um, that we have all of our privacy settings tuned just right, and that we watch out for ourselves and have a complicated password that 's not reused and yeah I mean, things. how many
1: people honestly have read the the user agreement like like oh. say there 's for iTunes, you, Listen,
3: know, you know this is the biggest lie on the internet. The exactly. idea that any of us actually agree right now. I'm, I'm, exactly. For, you can't see me, but I'm using extra big scare quotes right now. Well,
1: we'll we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. We're going to take a quick break. How's that sound? Sure. Hey, that works for me. We're talking with Woody Hartzog. The book is Privacy's Blueprint, the Battle to Control the Design of New Technologies. And, of course, this is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. We'll be right back.
3: South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried
1: chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast
3: using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.
2: Get your MPB car tag anytime. It doesn't even have to be up for renewal. Simply go to your county office to sign up. When you get an MPB car tag, a portion of the fee helps MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. For details, visit mpbonline.org slash cartag. We'll see you on the road.
0: You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio.
1: Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Our guest is Woody Hartzog. The book is Privacy's Blueprint, The Battle to Control the Design of New Technologies. We're in the middle of this giant shift on how we do everything in this world. And, I mean, if you've been in an industry that's been affected by the Internet, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, yes, I used to be a manager at Hollywood Video. I mean, that <laughs> sort of thing, you know. Right. Um, uh, I mean, of course, me being a newspaper business or in the media business as well, things have changed. We were talking a little bit before the break about, you know, I, I made the joke about nobody knowing what was in their iTunes agreement when they clicked on it with Apple. Nobody knows what those things. I don't think anybody reads. You've probably read them.
3: Uh, you know, I, I have, but only sort of at gunpoint. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it was it was no one should should even be expected to read these things. Right. This is this is the biggest lie. That we are faced with every single day on the internet, which is we download an app yeah. or we we register for a service and they present this dense block of text that even assuming you had the time and patience to get through, it's not guaranteed that you'd even understand what it, what right. it said because it's either um, – so specific and used, you know, confusing words, or it's so general it could mean anything, right? Right, and and yet we click I agree, and the rules we have are sort of built around this notion that well, if you take on the risk, then if they share your information, then that's your fault. You agreed to it.
1: I mean, back when iTunes was more of a thing, of course now people stream music, and we'll talk about that too. But it was like people would amass these huge catalogs of music, and then suddenly one day they woke up and realized, oh, it said in that little agreement that I don't own this music. That's
3: right. That's yeah. right. It may come as a shock to people, but when you use a lot of these streaming services, you don't own the songs that you download. Even when you download them offline, um, we sign these agreements where we give a license, right? right. We, we A license is just an agreement not to sue someone. Right. And so uh, so someone then has this whole collection of music that can be wiped out yeah, uh, overnight, right? Or if you switch a service, if you decide that you don't like Apple... Uh, I you know music service and you want to go to Spotify you're going to have to recreate all your playlists and that's that's a fundamental change which is why I started collecting vinyl records
1: yeah I know we got to go back to old school
3: I uh, know well I wanted to show my son that there's another way yeah right? that that that, that that's, that's there there is more than one model and there used to be we took it for granted that we own this you know we, we technically didn't own the song we own the record but but when Apple can sort of at will decide to erase you know, a whole chunk of, of your music or Amazon's Kindle. There was a report where people downloaded, ironically, George Orwell's 1984. (laughs) And then people woke up one morning to saw the book totally erased from their Kindle. Right. And that's, that's something that Amazon probably reserves the right to do in their terms of service that nobody reads.
1: Oh, I know. It's just, if you ever do a video and you try to put music on top of it, you quickly discover you don't own the rights to that. That's right. Because yeah. they're going. Yeah. I mean, YouTube will take it off in two seconds.
3: Oh, absolutely, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Don't you dare put anything that can be matched through an automated crawler. Right. where They go. They've got these uh, basically audio prints where they can find any song that you know is owned by their in their library of songs, and they'll find it immediately. File a takedown notice, and off it goes.
1: And the lawyers come in like flying monkeys. That's
3: right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like,
1: ah. But I, I tell you, being on the other side of that, being a content creator, and of course, I, you know we interview musicians all the time, and it's like their world has totally changed, too, because really, honestly, how they make their money now is going out and performing.
3: That's right. That's right. Yeah, you see, we've seen a massive change. Uh, I have friends that are media attorneys and, and entertainment attorneys that represent artists, and yeah. they say, uh, this is simultaneously one of the scariest times to try and make a living as a musician, but also one of the most exciting times. Right. Because you there's see... There's no gatekeeper. Right, exactly. Because now there's there's a much more sort of direct way to go about it. And streaming services actually almost... We tend to forget about the MP3 scare, but do you remember? Yeah. You know, but even uh, maybe five to ten years ago, uh, the big story was, well, everyone's downloading music for free. Napster. right. And Spotify and Apple Music almost solved that problem as a business matter because now people pay a subscription fee.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, if you're an artist and you're now getting a penny. That's right. And that's the tough part because they haven't quite figured out how to monetize the the product as well.
3: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that they were still trying to figure that one out. Yeah. Uh, And so you're right. Artists have to rely upon Almost like
1: it's a lost leader.
3: That's right. Yeah, almost, right? It, It gets people out to the live show, which is where they make a lot of money.
1: I can't remember the last name. Chris, I can't remember. They wrote a book called Free. And he basically, and this book came out probably eight years ago, nine oh, years yeah. ago, but it, it expressed this exactly, the where you had to give away a certain amount of your product to be able to get a, build a brand and have people, like for me, you know, obviously my cartoons still show up in the newspaper. But if I put stuff up on Facebook and stuff like that, as my dad said, oh, you're rolling around in the Facebook dollars, you know, because he would joke about that because you don't get anything for that. But people, if it passes around to 100,000 homes, suddenly, you know, oh, I want to see more of this, guys. I might buy his book or I might, you know, invite him to come speak. So what it does is, I mean, you're having to rethink how you get your income.
3: That's right. Exactly. And you've got to be a little more. Entrepreneurial, yes. I think, than you have been in the past, right? Um, but there are options out there.
1: Well, I have to do kind of like what you did, you know, just yeah. figure out. So, okay, I got to diversify and figure out and do different things. That's so, right. so I'm going to have to become a lawyer, I guess. Right, my yeah. next one. So,
3: law school next. That's what no, like. actually, graduate school. I think I'll do that. <laughs> I, I want to
1: teach too and do what you're doing. Excellent. How is the teaching part? Do you enjoy that?
3: I love it. I absolutely love it. It's it's one of my favorite parts. But you have
1: some time. really bright students.
3: I cannot speak about how much I love my students, both when I taught at Stanford University and at Northeastern. Yeah. My students have been passionate and s- so intelligent and caring, and they inspire me. To work harder because they want to make a better world, right? And it's it's such an inspiration and a joy to be able to teach. Yeah, them. I mean, because
1: I think a lot of people, oh, you know, millennials and everything else, and of course that's a little bit ahead of them. They're Generation Z, I think, or whatever. Sure. But it's amazing how passionate that age group is. Because I've taught a couple of classes, and I mean, these kids were like, and they're very. I mean, they were literally born with a phone in their hand,
3: right? Exactly. So, so, you know, one of the misconceptions, so I actually do teach undergraduates in the College of Computer and Information Science as well. And I have to say, one of the big misconceptions that I run into a lot when I talk with people is that young people don't care about their privacy anymore. Yeah. So you hear that a lot. And, and, it, and it may be true that uh, millennials and, and you know, Generation Z um, care about their privacy in a different way then maybe people that were are a little older care about their privacy. But but I think that my experience has shown me that, that they actually care very much. Um, yeah, can- the
1: first time somebody raids their phone and gets into the, the – the- nude pictures that they had of themselves right. on there. They care about their privacy yeah. pretty oh,
3: quickly. Absolutely, right? And they, and they care about, you know, what's on their phone. They they may not be used to talking about it in the same way that we talk about it. Right. So, you know, privacy is one of these really weird concepts that we everyone has a sort of different idea about what it is. Right. Um, and their idea might be a little different than ours, but I do think that they care about it very much and are, are willing to, to try to protect it.
1: Well, let's let's talk about privacy for just a second because obviously I've always said that, you know, don't ever do anything on the internet because it's the equivalent of standing on your desk in the middle of an office and screaming. Right. Yeah. Because people are going to find out.
3: Yeah. I mean, so I, I think that, that that is good advice, generally speaking. Okay. But if you think about it at scale, it's almost impossible to follow. Right. Right. So we conduct. I mean, obviously,
1: I do online banking and right. things like that, too. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so mm-hmm. we
3: do online banking. Um, we communicate with our people. Our uh, partners and our, our very dear friends in intimate ways. Maybe not everybody, of course, probably sends nude photos, but some people do. I,
1: believe me, I don't. Right, so, right. Yeah, we're good. Right. So, <laughs>
3: yeah. But, but people do express their uh, emotions through, uh, you yeah. know, social media is sort of different, right? But it's not a... Um,
1: but I um, mean, it's Snapchat, for instance. Right. Because yeah. the, the conversation goes away. It's almost like natural conversation.
3: Right. Exactly. Or at least it's meant to mimic natural Exactly.
1: And that's why it's been so successful. Exactly.
3: Right. right. Because people crave that sort of uh, ephemeral nature, right? So when yeah. you and I have a conversation over lunch, uh, we'll remember that. But it'll fade into nothingness if it's not recorded and broadcast live. Or no
1: screenshot taken of it. Right. But, right.
3: Yeah. Whereas this conversation that we're having is going to be archived online and, you know, podcasts and podcasts, sent out. Yep, right. right. And so there's a lot there's a large spectrum Available, and I think that one of the things that we tend to gloss over when we talk about privacy online is that there's lots of different spaces. So Some of it is broadcasting. Yeah. Um, it's probably never a good idea to sort of badmouth your employer on social media or anywhere. Any, yeah, right. And I mean, so, so there are some basic rules that we should follow that equally apply online. Um, but I don't want to. I don't think it's sustainable for us to treat. Online spaces is totally public and open to everyone all the right. time. I just don't think that's how we live our lives.
1: Right we can't become Luddites either.
3: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, the alternative is we could, I guess, go live in a shack somewhere. Yeah. Well, the
1: first time you go to the grocery store and write a check, see how well that works out for you. <laughs> right. The people behind you are going to like throw cans at you.
3: Listen, I had to, I taught payment systems my first year when uh-huh. I was a law professor. And I actually had to spend time explaining to my students what a check was. Really? <laughs> wow. Some of them, not everyone, but, but yeah. some of them, they were like, what's a check? And I was like, well, it's a piece of paper that you, you know, tell your bank to pay money for you. Yeah. It's
1: like, wow. I guess my grandparents used to do that. Right, right, exactly. So, and so, my cousin does radio and tells, you know, he has a radio show that t- tells people about financial stuff. Dave Ramsey, that guy. Sure. And he's always telling people to pay cash. You know, when you right. walk up to the grocery store and whip out a couple hundred dollar bills, you know, they look at you like you're from Mars. Right.
3: So. Well, increasingly that's not always an option. So, I've been to certain places, uh, even like some of these new popsicle places. That's true. That won't take cash, they yep. say card only yeah that's, they're waiting for is this like
1: that's fascinating yeah. um, there's a couple of directions I want to go because number one, how can the average person protect themselves because I mean we see it every day my credit scores i mean my credit information was stolen at this one different you know chain store they somebody hacked them and got all my information i mean I actually believe it or not, a few years ago um, Russian hackers got a hold of my ta- my social security number and tried to file a tax return yeah. based on me.
3: And that's that's unfortunately not uncommon. Yeah. How can you protect yourself from that? So if the first great lie of the Internet was you agree to the terms and service, the second great lie of the Internet is that you are responsible and capable of protecting yourself online. Right. Um, So my first piece of advice is one of the ways in which we protect ourselves, and this is what the book is about, is to fight for better rules about privacy that don't place all of the responsibility on us for protecting ourselves. Right. And so if you get hacked, um, you're, the first piece of advice that you're going to get is, well, you better go change your passwords and you better file uh, credit mo- for credit monitoring and get right. a credit freeze. And they're talking to you as though, you know, somehow you're the one that has to clean up this mess. Right. Meanwhile, it was Yahoo's email that got hacked, right? And so uh, when we, even at the local level, at the city level, Ask people what their position on privacy and security is, because yeah. it matters not just at the federal level cities are actually doing a, a playing an important role really? in preserving privacy and security but but as a practical matter, there are some things that you can do so one is of course always try to keep a full list of all the accounts you have right um, try to uh, make sure that no one is that Russian hackers haven't taken over some account that you haven't used in five years. And then the next best thing that you can do is activate what 's known as two factor authentication mm-hmm. and i don't know if you've heard of this, but sometimes Facebook, for example, when you log in, you usually have to enter in your username and a password but there's another way to protect your account where they ask uh, they have a they ask for a thing that you know, which is your password and a thing that you have, which is usually your phone, yeah. and you will get a text message from Facebook and then you enter in the code. Um, that's a pretty good way of stopping a lot of these random attacks.
1: We did that at, at the Clarion Ledger, for instance. If I want to use my email on a, and I'm on somebody else's Wi Fi, it'll do, make me, it'll exactly. give me a bump on my phone. And I have to approve it before right. I can go through that. And it
3: seems like a pain, but I promise you it's worth it. It'll
1: save you. We'll continue this conversation in just a minute with Woody Hartzog. The book is Privacy's Blueprint The Battle to Control the Design of New Technologies. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio.
2: Well, don't worry. MPB Think and Music Radio are available online and on our MPB public media app. It's simple. Just log on to our website at MPBOnline.org to get started. This is MPB Think Radio.
1: I'm Kevin Farrell, the host of Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Each week, Nancy Lotter Janderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College, joins me and answers questions about credit, investing, saving for retirement, and all things finance. Also, we invite you to call in and share your successes in navigating the personal finance challenges that we all face. Money Talks,
0: Tuesday mornings at 9 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio.
1: Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Happy Monday. Beautiful day out there. It's hard to believe that July is almost over. Man, that went by fast. This year is flying by. Something about getting old. I don't know. Anyway, we got a great show today. Woody Hartzog's In the House. The book is Privacy's Blueprint, The Battle to Control the Design of New Technologies. And we've, of course, been talking about Internet privacy, which almost sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not because it can be done. And you had a great point before the break that whereas you know, when all these bad things happen, the people that are victims are treated like it's their fault when it's not their fault. So, and we were talking about ways that, well, you know, maybe this can protect you or that can protect you. Obviously, the government is one way of of, of regulation or with laws. And we've discussed that a little bit earlier about how sometimes it's, you know, seems difficult because the government's not terribly quick and nimble about doing things. But – um. And now we're getting into, you know, I mean, this is kind of more political, but you're getting into some of the hacking that's going on and and even affecting our elections.
3: Absolutely. That's scary. This is terrifying. Yeah. Uh, It's something that, uh, frankly, I think should be bipartisan. Yes. We should all care about having secure elections. Right. Um, In in a weird way, one of the most secure ways to run an election is to keep digital technology out of it entirely. Exactly. Paper (laughs) ballots. Right? I mean, paper ballots is actually better. Uh, that also actually goes for passwords, by the way. Yeah. Um. The, one of the the questions I get is, well, what should I do with all these passwords and all these you know requirements to change my passwords? And uh, the temptation might be to save them all in a Word document, you know, on your computer. Keep but, it in a notebook.
1: But don't that? do that. <laughs> right. I mean, like,
3: like you know, it's, it's not great to write down all your passwords, but frankly, you have to in order to keep track of them. Right. You should do it in a notebook or use one of these password managers, which, which exists out there.
1: But, so the password manager would basically keep it, almost encrypts it.
3: That's right. It yeah. encrypts it. It keeps it local. It's, uh, I use a password manager. It's, it's, it's a pretty good tool if you feel comfortable using it. Um, but if you don't, just write them down in one place and keep it safe and lock it up.
1: Right. Right, we talked a little bit about this. What, what are a few steps that the listeners can be saying, okay, um, now you got me a little bit worried. What do I need to be
3: doing? Right. So, uh, again, the, you know, step one is there's only so much you can do, so you have to give yourself a little bit of a break. Right. right. So I think some people um, may worry too much because they think that they can do more than is even possible. Um, the best you can do is use the tools that you're given, step right. one. Um, use two-factor authentication, Uh if you're not looking to establish a public brand as part of your profession, consider using privacy tools. So yes. I lock down my Twitter accounts. Right. Um, and you might want to lock down some of the others. Now that doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. See,
1: obviously, I can't do that. Right. I mean, right. You know because i want it to be open but, right yeah
3: exactly but but if, but if not then consider using it right because things that are closed off are a little more protected uh and then just vigilance just check just like you check your bank account right. normally check your accounts right yeah. and just and just make sure and, and if it happens if it if it does turn out that that you were hacked um try to act quickly uh, and
1: then it's also too and you know, we took a, a training session at work on how to recognize
3: phishing Oh yeah, that's yeah. huge. Yeah, don't click on the link, right? Yes. Oh, no <laughs> if, kidding. If, if there's one piece of advice I can give everyone, just don't click on the link. That's right? what
1: happened, of course, with the the Democratic situation. Exactly. Too. He clicked right. on the link. Right. Ch- changed his password.
3: Oh, almost always. So I'm I'm working on a second book. And right it's now.
1: amazing how close these phishing looks like
3: oh, they're legitimate. You may think that you're sophisticated enough. Yeah. But I have to tell you that the these. Uh, attempts at phishing, and phishing is when they send you a a disguised email that looks as though it's official from someone that you know or an institution that you deal with. And it's actually – it leads to a a site that will download some sort of virus on your computer and and lead to a hack. Um, They're so good. They and, and they're also getting tailored. So one of the things that, that I think everyone should know is that it's very possible that you'll get an email from someone in your contact list. It will be spoofed, right? So yeah. you might get an email from your mom or an old acquaintance, and it would actually have your name and maybe even where you work on it. So you'll say, oh, well, now this is legitimate. Right. And you click on the link, and you're hacked, right? So so um, you just have to exercise a lot of vigilance. One of the the easy tricks that I tell people— um, if you're using a computer and not your phone, you can hover your cursor over the link. Yeah. Uh, and at the bottom, it will actually tell you where that link goes. And yeah. if it's something different than what you see, don't click on it.
1: Don't click on it. Yeah. That's really good to know. You, we were t- in the, the last couple of minutes we got here. You and I grew up in a generation where there were no cell phones, obviously, and there was no really internet and everything else. And so my memories of me growing up can't be dug up. That's right. So I almost feel sorry for kids to, in that respect.
3: Oh, absolutely. So one of the my main motivations for writing this book stems from the fact that I am so appreciative that the things that I did growing up uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, only exist in the memories of the people that were that I did them with. Or maybe
1: a yellowed polaroid might right, pop up. Right, right, yeah.
3: yeah, maybe maybe a, a polaroid that is hopefully tucked away in someone's chest that will never come out again. Yeah. And um, and I think about how making those decisions and making those mistakes allowed me to grow. Yeah. You know, they weren't fatal mistakes. They weren't, um, you know, incredibly injurious or stupid. They were just the small little mistakes that we all make as we we grow up. Right. Because that's how we grow is we, we test a little here and we realize that's a bad idea. And we test a little there and we realize that a, that's a bad idea. And we say things that we think we believe in. And then we like, Oh, you know what? That actually was really stupid and terrible. We
1: had a baseball pitcher for the Braves yesterday, nearly threw a no hitter. Now suddenly people are digging through his Twitter account from when he was 18 years old. That's right. And finding a lot of really that's awful right. things that he said. Yeah. And, so,
3: and, and that is going to be everyone's existence. Yeah. Uh, if we don't carve out a space for people to fail safely yeah. as they, as they mature, I think that that's the ability to move beyond your former self is key to human flourishing, and it's being threatened right now with the really ubiquity is. of online disclosures. And so, um, and so that's that's part of the reason I wrote this book was to try to help car- to think about ways in which we could create rules that would create a safe space for people to fail. Right. Um, and and I think that it's it's really urgent because I think about my own sort of you know wayward path and how I got to where I am. Yeah, I know
1: it. And and of course, you have to teach your kids how to become you know, online savvy.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. and you have to have that conversation earlier and earlier. Yeah, no Um, kidding.
1: Because, I mean, they're in front of tablets when they're really young.
3: Oh, absolutely. My son has begged to create a YouTube channel and I told him, I said, my son... You are uh, – unfortunately, you're in the position to have a dad that studies privacy for yeah. a living. So it's going to be a long time before I, you get oh, that, to our yeah, YouTube that,
1: channel. That's kind of a bummer. The second book, you're working on it right now?
3: I am. So the second book I'm working on with my mentor, Daniel Solov, and it's called Breached, Why We Fail at Data Security and How to Improve. And so we've been thinking a lot about a lot of these high-profile hacks that have happened.
1: Well, I am so glad that you stopped in to say – I know you're here to say hello to your mom, but I'm glad you came in to, to visit with us. Oh,
3: thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, uh, I'm giving a book talk at Lemuria tomorrow night at 5 p.m.
1: Excellent. Everybody needs to stop by. Of course, I want to thank Woody for stopping in as well. The book is Privacy's Blueprint, The Battle to Control the Design of New Technologies. Now You're Talking is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Think Radio is produced by the amazing Michelle McAdoo. Stay tuned for Southern Remedy and join us next week for more Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey here only on MPB Think Radio.